Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. If you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to Josh's sermon last week as he talked about, as he opened up about the Regeneration series. I thought he did a great job laying the groundwork, you know, for the ministry. And there are two things that he pointed out that I really thought were, that I want to actually piggyback on. The first was, is that, you know, God's intent for us is to be fully known and fully loved in authentic relationships. And, the, and part of the provision that he provides for us is for that to happen in the church. The church should be, often isn't, but should be the safest place on earth for you to be fully known and fully loved. And your relationship with God and the health of your relationships with others is the most important part about being human. God created you for relationships. And so in reality, you will never know if you are fully loved until you allow yourself to be fully known and risk rejection. And so I learned that at Watermark. My wife and I were a young couple with a new baby. We have four that have kind of moved, you know, older now. Uh, when Watermark started, there were fewer people in this room when that church started. It's now a large church in Dallas. Um, but in the first year, I accidentally stumbled across some pornography. And uh, I had been an addict. I'd been addicted when I was younger, and went through a season of freedom when I met my wife. And, but a month later, I was back on that same website, and then three weeks, and then two weeks, and then one week, and a year into the church, I was stuck again. And God made it very clear to me that if I didn't get help, I would be in big trouble in terms of my relationship with Him and my wife. So I confessed to my wife, and we came to the church. And we said, hey, this is where we're at. They did a great job counseling us in that meeting. I said, do you have a counselor that you would send us to or another couple that could shepherd us through how to deal with this in their marriage? And our pastor looked at us and he said, oh, there's, this is a big issue in our church. This is affecting so many marriages. We just don't know who anyone is because nobody's talked about it. And he said, but I'm not going to send you to a counselor yet. I've got a small group of people that I think you can trust. You know a couple of them. Would you first start to work through Scripture and just examine what's going on in your heart, share what's going on in your marriage, and see what happens? And so for the next year, we were with this group of folks that really didn't know what they were doing, but we all were searching through Scriptures. Teresa and I shared our stories with them, opened up our lives to them. And with that group, we really did an inventory of my life. And what we found were patterns of when I would struggle the most. Growing up in a pastor's home, we were big churches and small towns, and people were watching us all the time, and so I learned to perform. I actually liked the uh, respect that we got in the community. And so I actually became a people pleaser. I wanted people's respect and honor and a performer. And what I found, and I actually did well in a lot of those things, but what I found is when I was afraid of failure, afraid of rejection, feeling like maybe I wouldn't get that affirmation, I would run to a fantasy world where I was always affirmed, never failed, and always approved. And that's why that worked for me. And when I discovered that it wasn't lust that was my issue, it was a worship issue, that I was trying to find my significance through something false, it changed everything for me. 
And we came back to our pastor and said, well, this is where we're at. He said, well, that's great. Who are you going to tell? I said, I told you. Why do I have to tell anybody else? (laughs) And he said, you don't. He goes, but remember, you were asking for help. And so my wife and I just started to share our story. And we shared it with other people and eventually started ministering to couples. And then when Watermark wanted a group-based care ministry, we joined. And God used that and grew that. And eventually it grew and became a job, you know, offer for me. And I joined the staff. And then eventually we developed Regeneration, which is an opportunity just to be involved in life transformation that even brought me here with the good people of Columbus. And it's a distinct privilege. My resume for this job, I have an economics and business degree. My resume is I'm an addict that's been saved and changed by Jesus. And there's no room for my glory in that. It's his glory. And so um, you may wonder if regeneration is relevant to you. As we talked on, this, on the screen, like it, it, it is a Christ-centered 12-step program. So you might be thinking, well, I'm not struggling with addiction like you. But here's what I want you to understand that's going on in those steps. In the first six steps, what's happening is you're identifying your need for God. You surrender your life and will to God. And you listen how to recognize and put to death that sinful nature that's there and that's still active in you. And then in steps seven through nine, really what you're dealing with is relationship reconciliation. You're walking in your identity in Christ and learning to forgive and make amends and heal your human relationships. And then in steps 10 through 12, you're talking about how to live and grow in God's purpose for your life. That's something that we all do as Christians. And so regeneration is relevant for everybody because what it does is identifies the things that are in the way of your relationship with God and, the, and what's in the, in the way of your relationships with others and gives you biblical instruction for how to work through that. So my question for you is, are you experiencing God's best for your life? Right now. You see... A lot of us stop at salvation. We pray to receive Christ and say, I've got eternity settled. But God wants much more for you than that. He doesn't offer salvation through Christ just so you can go to heaven and be with him, but go on living life apart from him. And he doesn't heal you from your sin just so you can go on living life unbothered by struggles. He saves you and frees you so that you can live out a divine purpose filled with love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and amazement. Is that the life you're experiencing? You see, God doesn't just want to make you better. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you like Jesus. We read Colossians 3 through 5 and um, uh, 3, 5 through 17, and that talks about how you put to death your sinful nature. And then out of that, you take off this old self and put on a new self. And that new self is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, is what that scripture says. So if you don't think you need recovery, this is telling you exactly what Christ is doing. He's renewing you to a true knowledge of the image of the one who created him. You are image bearers, created to bear the image of Christ. And sin and broken relationships gets in the way of that image. And so everybody, God is rescuing and pulling out and recovering to his image so that we can reflect his glory to the world. And so we are all in this recovery process with God rescuing us, making us like Jesus, and transforming our lives. And then the first place that he tells you that he wants you to start to live out that new life is in your relationships. 
He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then in the last section, he tells you, you do this by God's word with God's people for the glory of God. That's how that happens. So, how do Christians, those that have been saved, end up in recovery, struggling with addiction, isolation? There's a couple of reasons. Sometimes we just choose rebellion. We like sin. We're not ready to give it up. And we just choose to go with cultural trends. Um, maybe our family dysfunction is what drives our behavior. Maybe we seek purpose and meaning in life away from what God's plan is. Sometimes you're like me and you just try and live this life by your own strength and you try and power through it rather than living in relationship and dependence on God. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3. He says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit you are now being perfected by the flesh? God wants dependence and relationship for you. But I think usually the biggest thing that I find with Christians, those that have accepted Christ, on why they get stuck in life and stuck in recovery and struggle with addictions is they they truly don't have a grasp on their identity in Christ. What that means is um, identity is really something other than Christ takes preeminence in your life and how you think, how you spend money, how you spend time, where you spend emotion. And this can be good and bad things. It might be sin that you've done in the past or are active in right now. It might be sin that happened to you. Maybe you were abused and that defines who you are. It might even be a good thing. Like you hold so fast to being a great mother that you idolize your children or you enable sin because you want to be seen as a good parent. Sometimes Today, now, it's really your sexual feelings and desires that are supposed to preeminently define who you are and your identity, not Christ. And so, um, for some of us, even it's our pride or eager or, or how other people see us, like was, was me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I had some identity issues coming to talk with you and try and be open and be fully known. And there are some things that I've kept from the Carl Road folks as they've come up. And, um, and I want you to know a couple things. Number one, I'm from the Midwest, okay? And I grew up in a state up north. <laughs> and not only that, but uh, I wear the colors... Oh, some of you might not recognize this. Hold on a second. Let's see if I can fix it for you. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see if I can fix it. Let's put it right on there. Is that better? All right. So, uh, now I not only root for the maize and blue, I bleed maize and blue. Okay? And guess what? Over the last 20 years, there's been a lot of bleeding, folks. A lot of bleeding. Um, But... What that means is there are times where I get way too emotional and way too invested in a football game. 
And, uh, and I tend to see not only myself or my time, but I see others maybe through the colors that they wear. And, um, and so um, I want you to know that it is a great privilege for me to be here and speak with you. And so I want you to listen now as how God sees us. And I'm going to take this off because <laughs> I, I, God doesn't see me primarily through this, and I want you to be able to listen to me and not get mad or walk out. <laughs> um, so um, this is what Scripture says, who he says that you are. These are words taken directly from Scripture. If you have been saved by Jesus, you are loved, accepted, chosen, forgiven, blameless, righteous because of the blood of Christ, holy, means set apart, and cleaned, free, a new creation, you're his child, you're an heir, you're a saint, you're a co-worker, you're God's temple, a member of Christ's body, united in spirit with him, one in fellowship with him, one who bears fruit, a sharer of his nature, someone with direct access to God, someone able to know God, someone able to do God's will, someone set apart for his purpose. Do you understand who you are? The holy God has chosen you to be his, to live in a divine purpose, and has given you a mission to a world that's lost and hurting. When you depend on God's Spirit, working through God's Word and His people to truly know God and live in a right relationship with Him, and your goal is to glorify, glorify Him in all that you do, it will completely transform your life, the lives around you, the lives in your family, the lives in your church, and the lives in your community. The first thing that He tells you to... So where do you go? Like, that's a big, that's a big commission, all right? Well... Scripture says the first place you go is to your relationships. You've got relationships right now to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so the peacemaking process biblically really involves really three things. Forgiveness, which is dealing with the debt of sin against you. Uh, amends is making amends for how you've hurt others. And then reconciliation is when you've worked through forgiveness and amends and you agree that all accounts have been settled. Sometimes there can be some conflict resolution in that, but if both sides are willing to work through forgiveness and amends, often you can reach reconciliation without that. Now, if we're to forgive others we need, and understand biblical peacemaking, we need to look at some scripture because there's a lot of misunderstanding of what that is. You see, we owed a debt to God that we could not pay. All sin creates debt with God. Every sin does. And God's holiness, which means absolute moral perfection, God's holiness demands that every sin be paid for with a penalty. And what does Scripture say the penalty is? Death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God can't not punish sin, otherwise he wouldn't be holy. It's in his nature. He must do it in order to remain holy. Thankfully, God's love is also holy, and it's perfect in its nature. And so to provide a way for you to be reconciled with him, he sent Christ, his son, to die, to live a perfect life, 
to die on your behalf and make amends for your sin to pay for it. And then he offers you reconciliation as a free gift. You can accept Christ's payment as your own, or you can try to stand on your own merit before him and face judgment. Let's read this passage. Do you have the Colossians 2? Did we get that for the screen? I'm going to read this to you if we don't have it on the screen, all right? Colossians 2, 13 through 14. This is really important, okay? And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, thus he set aside nailing it to the cross. The point here is, is that your debt of sin was not excused. It was paid in full. The Father transferred His demand of justice for sin and death from you to the Son at the cross. And Christ suffered death for every one of our sins as a perfect payment to make amends on our behalf to provide a way for that debt to be paid and for us to be reconciled to God. This is really important, so stick with me here. This reconciliation occurs when you accept that free gift, that transfer. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. So I'm going to ask a question. If God forgave sin by transferring justice for all your sins to the cross so that amends for sin could be made in full by the blood of Christ, can you do the same? I want you to think right now of someone that's been difficult for you to forgive. You really want justice or payback, or when you think of them, the first thing that you think about is how they've hurt you. And you might even be somebody in the room. It might be your spouse, it might be a child, coworker. And my question is, if you have trusted Christ and accepted that Christ's suffering was sufficient to pay for all your debt of sin, every one of your sins with a death sentence, have you considered that Christ's suffering as sufficient payment for the debt of the sins against you? For Christians who have hurt you, Christ's blood covers all their sin too, even the harm that you feel right now. For non-Christians, how do you know that they won't become a Christian before they pass? Or, is God's holy wrath for those that reject the free gift not enough vengeance for you? Hebrews 10, 30-31 says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And so what is enough justice for your sin? God says Christ's blood is enough. Is it not enough for you? And for those that don't accept Christ's blood, is God's holy wrath enough for you? You can take the debt that you're owed and transfer it to the cross. You can make God your debt collector over those that have hurt you. And he will do it perfectly and absolutely. So, misunderstandings about forgiveness. What forgiveness is not, it's not excusing sin. Or saying that a wrong suffered is now okay. There is no excuse for sin. God hates sin. He demands death as justice for sin, and Christ died for sin that's there. 
Forgiveness is not freeing the guilty of demand for justice. All sin must be paid in full because God is holy and he will execute justice as his time and his way. Forgiveness is not denying your hurt or stuffing your anger. You should be hurt or angered by sin. God is. Christ suffered for sin. Forgiveness actually frees you to honestly work through your pain, grieve sin, and release resentments. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not conditional. Forgiveness is an act of the will to release your claim for justice to God. I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm putting you on God's hook. That's what forgiveness is. It's not forgetting To forgive, you must remember the offense, the cross, and how much God forgave you. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiving the past doesn't mean somebody's trustworthy for the future. Forgiveness is a gift, but trust is earned. Forgiveness is not dependent on someone making amends with you or reconciling with you. Forgiveness is a transfer of the debts that are owed to you between you and God alone. You can forgive someone who's unable or unwilling to make amends with you for the harm that they've caused. And it's not restoration of the relationship. Faithful living over time restores trust that's lost and reestablishes a relationship that's aligned with God's design for that relationship. So of all those things that forgiveness is not, there's other reasons why we don't forgive. Um, no, the main reason I think is that we use pain as protection. You hurt me this way and I'm never going to let you hurt me this way again. And so we fashion it into armor. It might be a breastplate or a shield. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to protect myself or a weapon, a sword. Oh, you're going to hurt me this way. I'll hurt you back. Or you hold on to it because it gives you power in a relationship. I'm going to remind you what you did to keep you in your place. Give me the advantage and the upper hand in the relationship. And here's what I want to say. Christ died to free you from sin's penalty and sin's power over your life. He doesn't want any sin control on you, not your own sins and not even the sins against you. He wants to be your protector. He wants to be your avenger. He wants to be your justifier. He wants, um, he wants you to see the world yourself and the one you offended through the lens of the cross, not through the sins committed against you. So using past hurt to protect, comfort, or justify your own actions is substituting destructive solution for the comfort and protection of God saying, this is more effective than the sovereign God. Now, unforgiveness not only affects your relationship with that other person, but your relationship with God and how you even relate to others in life. Now, part of my angst about coming here as a Wolverine um, was in that, was that hurt that I, I had some Buckeye, I've got Buckeye friends. But when those games happened, when I was young, like a lot of them would do some really hurtful things when he kept losing for years and years and years. And not just emotional things, but I mean, there was even some damage done and things like that. And so because I hadn't forgiven, you know, I was looking through the lens of sin at my friends and I hadn't given up. And not only that, when I didn't forgive them, I tend to view every Buckeye the same way. And I see them through the lens of sin that had happened to me and my experience. And I see you this way. 
okay? I don't see you fully. There's distance between us. You can't see my eyes. You're all shaded right here. It affects the vision of how I view you and the relationships. But what forgiveness does when I transfer that debt to God is it just takes that off. I can see you clearly in the beauty and grace of Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ, beloved. And his sin doesn't affect how I view you. And so forgiveness, unforgiveness affects how you view life and others. So how do you do that? How do you forgive others? The first thing to do is just face the truth. I use this acrostic called free. Face the truth. Be honest about the sin. Like, don't deny it. Don't be a peace faker. Like, be honest with yourself about the sin. Evaluate it by God's, God's word. Don't deny or minimize it. All right? The next thing you do is you release the hurt. Give your pain to God. God knows exactly what happened, cares about you, and suffered for sin too. He suffered for that sin against you. He paid a death penalty for what happened to you. And grieve the damage and the cost of that sin against you. Mourn it. It's a loss. Then you take that sin against you and you entrust it to God. Transfer your claims for justice to God and he'll judge and avenge all that sin perfectly. Give up your rights for apologies, vengeance, or even to dwell upon that sin. That is in God's hands now. He's my debt collector. Belongs to him. And then lastly, exalt Christ. E. Thank God for paying for your sins and loving your offender enough to offer that person forgiveness through Christ. Ask God to help you love that offender supernaturally by the Spirit, just like Christ loved us when we were far from him. And praise God for freedom from all sin, your sins and even the sins against you. He offers that to you. So after you've forgiven someone, the next step in peacemaking is making amends for your sin. And amends is defined as, you know, reparation or repayment. Like when um, we know, again, the whole debt thing, like when someone sins against you, you know, what do they say? You know, paybacks are what? <laughs> you know, or I owe you or I need to make it up for you. And, and so this whole idea of exchange. Now, I know that God's forgiven me for my sin against you, but the reality is that sin may be in the way of our relationship. I don't know if that other person's forgiven me. I can't demand forgiveness of them. And it actually hinders my fellowship with God. So amends, while, while forgiveness is vertical between you and God, amends is one way from me to you. And it's me owning 100% of my part of a conflict. Part of the reason why it's so difficult is because usually two sinners are involved in the conflict. And then you argue about who's at most fault, Right? And so let's say that only 2% of the conflict is your fault and your spouse's sin is 98% of the problem. Amends is you owning 100% of, you, of your 2%. Without excuse, without justification. I'm going to own my part of the conflict 100%. Romans 13.8 says, let no debt remain, out, remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Romans 12, 17, and 18 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You can't control how somebody's going to respond, but you can forgive somebody and you can make amends for your part of the conflict. That's what's up to you. That's what you're going to be held responsible for. 
So why should you make amends? You don't go to it for your own benefit. But here's the deal. If you don't make amends, your sin may be a hindrance to that, per- that other person's relationship with you and may be a hindrance in their relationship with God. And it is a hindrance in your relationship with God. Matthew 5, again, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. Like If you're here in church and you are unreconciled because you hurt somebody, God says, hey, go fix that and come back. Let's stop playing games here. If you come here and you ask for help, he'll help you do it. And he'll bring people around you. But let's not deny that that hurts there. Let's not deny that you hurt someone else and just dismiss it. Or demand somebody else forgive you. You go and own your part. You initiate peace. And that's really the issue of amends, is that you're the initiator of peace in this process. So, how do you make amends? As far as it depends on you. The goal is to lovingly open a doorway of peace between you and that other person and to God. And so you don't want to try and cause further damage. And you want to trust the outcomes to God. That actually means sometimes you're going to have to face consequences. So for me, making amends was telling my wife I was looking at pornography. Well, there's consequences to that. Like she's hurt. We got to work through that. For some people, you've stolen something. You might need to go make amends and actually make tangible debt repayments like Zacchaeus. Where you say, hey, look, you may not know this, but I stole something for you. I'm going to pay you back not just what I owe you, but even interest, you know, on this. And so um, so I'm, I'm going to ask, in a simple example right now, I just want to ask your forgiveness. You know, coming up here, being with Buckeyes, seeing red dots, like there was a part of me that had thought, oh, if I put on a hat, they're not going to listen to a word I say. You know, they hate wolverines. And, uh, and I judged you. And that's not fair to you. And I feel like that kept distance from me and some of the relationships that I've already had here. Will you forgive me? Yes? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> as long as we lose in November. <laughs> I get, that's not forgiveness, people. Okay. Uh, but... Um, so, so really, is it's, it's owning and recognizing your part, searching for your part in this thing, okay? Searching it out, acknowledging the hurt that's there, the distance that's caused in the relationship, being specific about the sin that's there. Will you forgive me when I did this? And then asking forgiveness. And it's really important that you ask the question, will you forgive me? It actually puts you at their mercy because they can say, no, I don't forgive you and I'll never forgive you. But you know what? God's already forgiven you for that sin. You're there to open up a doorway to peace. And now it's their choice in what they're going to do with your, with your request. It's in their court, so to speak. And God will work in their hearts when they're ready. Just let him do his work. All right? And then there are sometimes, like Mark, what Mark talked about, when there is no way that you can repay the debt that you owe. Situations where there's abuse that happens, consequences that you face. I'm mentoring a guy right now who, in the middle of inventory, was suicidal. And he was choosing between life and death. And he told me, I've abused a child at my work. 
called him the next morning. I said, we've got to go to the police station. And he was so distraught because he knew that that child needed help. And he wanted the family to know. But he knew that it would also maybe cost him his life. Went to the police station, confessed the next day. That evening, lost his job. And over the last two years, as he's been waiting his trial, he is charged and he's facing 20 years right now. He has been so faithful to walk with us and follow instruction and go through protocols at the church that aren't even put on him by the state right now, just so we can protect him and protect other people. And his life is totally transformed. I don't know any other man right now that loves Jesus more and is walking more intimately with him and making the decisions that he's making in all of my time in regeneration. God is making a story there. And honestly, he's he's about ready to face this trial. And I don't think it's going to go to trial. Because he's been faithful and working, I actually think he's going to get, you know, um, probation because of how faithful he's been over the last few years. But the biggest part is his transformation of heart. He's gone from death to life because he's not holding on to secrets. He's not holding on to sin. He's willing to face consequences. He's even ready to go to jail if that's what God wants to bring healing and justice to others. And so making amends is also giving God the outcomes of your confession of sin for the sake of peace with others. The final stage is Peacemaking is reconciliation. Again, if both parties are willing to do that and you're working through forgiveness and amends, you'll reach reconciliation at some point. Sometimes you're not able to do that. And so that's when you bring in others and you start to work through conflict. But here's the call of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, all this is from Christ who reconciled us to himself. And then what did he do? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's really what's happening within regeneration is you are Christ's agents there to bring healing to the world through the power of the Spirit and His Word and by your own life. So I want to ask you as we're closing here, just in terms of your identity of Christ, are there sins that you've committed or sins committed against you that are hindering you from becoming the image bearer that God shows you to be? Do you need to do some work on your identity as a chosen child of God? Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? When you think about them, you first think about how they've hurt you or how terrible they are. Is there someone that you need to forgive? I want you to think about their name right now, if that's the case. That's just your next step. Is there someone you hurt deeply enough that has hindered their relationship with God or with you or with others? Is there someone with whom you need to make amends? Maybe it's even somebody here at Carl Road. Some of you have big mountains, and you think about that mountain, you're like, there's no way I can cross that. You can't. God can do it. But don't start with a big mountain. Start with a single rather than the home run. Maybe there's somebody here at Carl Road that you're having conflict with. Start there. This is a great place to start to begin to heal and be open. And I would say that Christ is enough to heal any hurt, regenerate any relationship that's broken. 
John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what God wants for you. If you're not having that abundant life, not restored relationships, trust God and learn to walk in his identity for you. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.